Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas, and we are doing Life Over Coffee. I'm so thankful that you are here. We are only a few weeks away. We're 20-something days away from launching our new website. I am so excited about it. It will be lifeovercoffee.com. There is nothing for you to do. There's nothing really for you to know. If you type in rickthomas.net in the future, it will go right to lifeovercoffee.com. So both of those URLs will land in the same place or at the same place. Uh, But I am super grateful that this is finally happening. This has been part of our legacy planning for the last several years when I started this ministry in uh, 2008, some 14 years ago. I had been praying for my replacement. I'd also been praying that God would bring a team and that this ministry would also be generationally. And so now I get to pull my name off the website. We are a team. God has been bringing replacements all along, people that have been taking some of my work away from me so that I can focus on my main thing, which is leadership development and content creation. And so we have a 10-member team now, so thankful, and we're continuing to grow by God's mercy and grace. We're taking the practical message of Christ globally, and I trust that he will continue to bless his ministry long after I am gone. The reason that we are calling it Life Over Coffee is because that really best community Communicates who we are, and who we are is is that we believe that that anyone can do life over coffee. That one person can help another person over coffee. I was talking to my friend Bob this morning at the church meeting, and he said, "I don't like coffee." And I said, "That's great. You can do life over tea. You can do life over water. You can choose your beverage." But two people getting together and helping one another, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Well, our ministry, Life Over Coffee, is a come-alongside ministry. We want to stir up conversation, and we want to provide resources to help people to be able to serve one another in the body of Christ. And so part of our metamorphosis over the past decade and a half uh, is where we are at this point, and within just a few short weeks now, we will officially be life over coffee, and I'm very excited about that. I received a note uh, just this week from Justina. She wrote in, and she said, I've recently discovered your website, and my goodness, this is a quote, by the way, I have recently discovered your website, and my goodness, I am hooked Answers so many questions. The most practical Christian counseling resource I have encountered. That's from Justina. What took you so long to get here, Justina? And I'm glad uh, that you are hooked. We are a good addiction, and I hope that you hang around for a long time. For those of you who haven't come over to the dark side yet, I trust that you will. Our resources are free, and so you can read, you can watch, you can listen. Uh, They are super, super practical, and there are millions and millions of words that you will benefit personally, but you can also partner with us by taking this free content and sharing it with whosoever will. And we were so happy when we hear that people are taking our resources and giving it away as we are giving it to you. And so I'm grateful for that, and I'm thankful for just. Justina. 
Over the past three weeks, I have done podcast episodes uh, 423, 24, 25, and, and this is episode 426, and so I thought it was just going to be two podcasts. It turned into a trilogy, and so now we have four podcasts that are moving along the same theme. And the theme is this. In the last three episodes, I talked about uh, the danger of biblical counseling movement passing its prime. Now, that's not an impulsive statement. It's not something that I just uh, came up with. It's actually something that I have been thinking about for a very long time. I have talked to a few close friends about this over the past uh, couple of years, and in those previous three episodes, uh, 423, 24, and 25, I explain uh, why I believe that, that we have passed or we are passing our prime. And if we don't talk about these things aloud, uh, if we don't address these things, I think the biblical counseling movement as we know it uh, is in a bad spot. And so I, after a couple of years of processing this, I did those uh, podcasts, the first one, 423, and of course, it stirred up a, a little bit of a, a dust storm within the biblical counseling world. Some people took issue with it. Uh, some people agreed with it. And I suppose that's all okay. Uh, as our uh, tagline is, we, we, we spark conversation. My intent wasn't necessarily to spark conversation. I just wanted to share something that was had been on my mind for a long time. Uh, but a lot of people talked about it. And so as the conversation has continued now for almost a month, I thought, well, okay, I, I want to try, I want to work at being as clear as I as I possibly can. And that's why I've done uh, now three more podcasts in addition to the original one, 423. But part, and I'll talk more about why I believe that we are passing our prime and that we need to discuss it, but also Part of the conversation has to be more than just identifying a problem. I mean, that's the way counseling is. We identify problems that people are struggling with, but we also want to bring practical solutions. And so in the last episode, I, I talked about just, I, I think I gave uh, seven ways that we can innovate, that we need to be innovative because I talked about the lack of innovation. And one of those innovations that we need to mature in is this idea of listening. And I, I just mentioned it very briefly in the last episode. So in this episode, thinking about how we can practically mature as biblical counselors and as a biblical counseling movement, I want to take this idea of listening and I want to, I want to drill deeper down into it. So this will be a super practical podcast for anybody who's interested in discipleship. If you love discipling people, if you love counseling, and I kind of use those words interchangeably, they're somewhat synonymous, even though you could tease them out a little bit and draw distinctives about each one, disciple, either one, discipleship and biblical counseling. But whichever your preferred label is, the idea of listening is essential, and so we want to mature in listening to people so that we can help 
people. Now, because we do biblical counseling, we have a a built-in advantage to this idea of listening, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. And so I titled this episode, Four, The Four Types of Transformative Listening, and so I want to uh, talk about those in just a moment. Uh, this is episode 426, and if you want to, you can go to the show notes, and there's a lot of links. Also, the previous, the previous three uh, episodes, 23, 24, and 25, are also there. So thank you so much again for joining me, and let's do a little bit of Life Over Coffee. Okay, so the title of this one is, again, this is episode 426, The Four Types of Transformative Listening. And what I want to do in this episode is drill down into those four types. And again, this will benefit any believer. I mean, you could say, well, I am not a, a biblical counselor. Well, you are a Christian, assuming that you are. And if you are a Christian, the call is on us to go out and make disciples. And a key aspect to disciple making is, is listening to people so that we can help them, so that we can be used by God. And we can cooperate with the Lord in whatever He is doing in an individual's life. And so listening is a huge aspect. Now, this is one of the things that we talk about in our mastermind program. We have an all online school where people can come and do the work of training to be equipped in biblical counseling. And if this is something that you are interested in, I would encourage you to come to our website and check it out. Uh, you could start the mastermind program today. By the way, Malik uh, just came uh, into our program a couple of days ago. Uh, he lives in the Memphis, Tennessee area. And I'm so grateful that he he is here and he has started the program. And so he is on the journey. And so you can do as he did and start the mastermind program. And, and it is highly supervised because we want to, again, we, we as supervisors want to cooperate uh, with what we believe God is doing in the person's life, and we want to be a means of grace in the student's life. And so it's not just academic work. It is hands-on work. It is intrusive uh, and that is the meaning, by the way, in Hebrews um, in Hebrews ten twenty five, to stir up one another uh, to loving good deeds. Uh, stirring up is it has an intrusive aspect to it, and so we want to be uh, appropriately, lovingly, biblically intrusive in our students' lives to help them to mature in the area of biblical counseling. And we're very glad that Malik has come on board, and you can do that too. But one of the things that we talk about is this idea of listening. You can't get around it. So I trust that as I move through this podcast, you will take the time to examine yourself and to see what areas that you need to shore up as far as your listening skills. And as I mentioned, these four different uh, types of listening, all of them are essential. We must be doing all four of them. Perhaps you can identify your strengths and weaknesses and praise God for the strengths and ask him to help you in areas where they may be weaknesses. And so all of this comes under the context of that if we're not careful, the biblical counseling movement uh, can pass its prime. And so I, I've had I've had a lot of I've had a good bit of conversation about this uh, over the past several weeks, uh, just for 
three days ago, I spent 90 minutes on the phone talking to an individual who took issue with what I was uh, saying, and it was a very civil, it was a cordial conversation, it was edifying, and, and we talked, and we had so much that we agreed on, uh, and so I'm grateful for the conversation, but needless to say, uh, I I recognized as I was talking to this biblical counselor that uh, I needed to be clearer and I want to continue to work on clarity as I try to explain my position. And so I want to give you a little bit of background before I get into the four types of listing. And I trust that this will continue to add clarity in, in my point here that if we're not careful, we will be passing uh, our prime. And one of the reasons is, is that, uh, well, all, all organizations pass their prime. Uh, we would be naive um, at best, arrogant at worst, to think that we can't. And, and so even when I look at our our own organization, I, I recognize that in, in 10, 20, 30, maybe 50 years, uh, it, it, will con- it can uh, devolve into something that has uh, moved away from the original intent of, of what the mission was when it started in 2008. And all organizations, secular or uh, Christian, are like this. And there's that possibility, there's a liability, and, and we always want to be uh, innovating uh, in a biblical and appropriate way, not change just for change's sake, not change to keep up with the culture, uh, but change to become better in what we're doing in spreading the fame of God in the lives of individuals around the world. And so we would be naive to think that it's not possible uh, with biblical counseling. We would be arrogant at worst to think it could never happen uh, to us uh, because every organization uh, has has this temptation, again, whether it's secular or sacred. There used to be a blockbuster video, for those of you who remember uh, that business. Uh, I just read uh, in the last couple of days that Bed Bath & Beyond is uh, shutting down hundreds of its stores. Uh, And so this is something that happens if we don't continue to stay uh, abreast and apprised of what's going on within our organization so that we can... um, identify those blind spots and then uh, take it uh, uh, shore up these areas that are potentially uh, weak. But I want to give you a couple of illustrations of, of why I believe that there is a possibility that biblical counseling can pass its prime. And, and one of those is, and I use the, the figure of speech in the first podcast, I said that There is a glut in the marketplace. We have diluted the marketplace with so many uh, so-called biblical counselors when a lot of them aren't good at their craft. And when you dilute the marketplace with certified biblical counselors, and again, certification and qualification is conflated in so many minds. Now, we can say in our training, we can put a footnote on our website that certification does not make you qualified. That's a good start. That's a good thing to say. But at the end of the day, people conflate. So many Christians looking for help conflate certification and qualification, and they believe that those things are equal, and they are just not. Certification 
education is some training, but uh, it, is, it doesn't even come close to getting us equipped, qualified uh, to do formalized biblical counseling, which is what I'm talking about here. You can go through certification training and be a good friend. Uh, you could be a decent disciple maker. But if you are going to be a formalized biblical counselor where you are helping people with their problems and working with them over a period of weeks and months, certification doesn't touch the hem of the garment of what you need in order to be that high-end formalized biblical counselor because it takes a solid decade of training and practice, mentoring and ongoing growth to become proficient at not just biblical counseling, but that would hold true for any worthy discipline. And the analogy that I use often is is um, a Major League Baseball. Uh, you can come in at T-ball and you can get a hat and a glove and a jersey. Uh, you can get a ball and a bat and you are a baseball player a T-ball player, uh, but it's going to be 15 or 20 years if you to make it to the big leagues, the major leagues, if you ever make it at all. That is just a common sense process. And so we want to continue to hold out before people that certification does not equal qualification, that there is much work involved beyond the certification process. But the problem that we have in biblical counseling is akin uh, to the same problem that we have, uh, we see in our culture. And I want to give you two illustrations of that. One of those is uh, influencers, and the other is music. And so this idea of influencer, and I'm talking about a glut in the marketplace. Today, everybody is an influencer. And when everybody is an influencer, or when everybody is a biblical counselor, where well, we are going to dilute the marketplace because, again, it just flattens out the quality. It brings down the quality when I was a kid in the 60s, I'm from the hippie uh, generation, much respect to the hippie generation and our great music, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But if you wanted to get in the newspaper or if you wanted to be uh, on television, well, good luck with that. It probably was not going to happen because you weren't going to be an influencer uh, nobody was an influence. We didn't know any influencers. There, there were just a few people who were able to uh, pub get published in a newspaper. Very few people. I mean, nobody knew anybody that wrote a book, you know, back in the 60s. It was just a rare breed of people that wrote books, uh, people that published in the newspaper, or people that were on television, uh, meaning that the influencers was a small number of people who, for the most part, were qualified to write quality books, to be on television. They've gone through college. They've gone through the training. They came up through the ranks, and now they're sitting at a desk and doing the TV news. They are an influencer. Today, you can be an influencer with millions of followers and be under 13 years of age. Now, 13 years of age is the typical line of when you can have a social media platform, but we know good and well that people uh, are influencers and they're under 13 and they lie about their age. Everybody is an influencer. I heard a stat that I can't recall now about uh, how many uh, minutes of video that 
people are uploading to YouTube, and it was just some astronomical number. There's so many videos uploaded to YouTube every minute. It's it's a mind-blowing number. The only thing that would come close to it would be the national debt. It's hard to comprehend. Everybody is an influencer, and because of that, uh, there is so much garbage in the airspace, in cyberspace, and, and we're being affected by it adversely because there's so many voices. Twitter is its own dumpster fire, and then you got all of this over on YouTube, and then you've got uh, Instagram, and then you got Facebook, and on and on and on, and you, you know all the places but because of this glut in the marketplace, it dilutes the quality. When back in the day, in my hippie generation, there were just a few people that could rise through the top, and it was a process, and it it didn't happen. You can start a blog, literally, you can start a blog in five minutes, and you can be an influencer. Now, only your mother will read the blog initially, uh, but if you do well at it and, and grow an audience, you can be an influencer and virtually anybody can do it. And I am saying that that is a problem. It gluts the marketplace. It dilutes the product. It creates a lot of noise and it causes a lot of problems. That's just one illustration. Another one is music. Back in my hippie generation, again, to use that as an illustration, there used to be a day when if you were going to get published, produced as a musician, it was very difficult to do. It was only the rare breed of individual that could rise up through the ranks and get an album cut. Uh, for example, if you go to the Sun Studio in Memphis, uh, Tennessee, it's kind of on a side street in kind of a, a d desolate area. It's not a thriving area, and it's just a little building that you would pass and not even know it was there. But that was the place where Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, and, and so many other people cut albums. But it was not an easy thing to do, and they became influencers within their genre. Today, anybody, anybody uh, can cut an album. Anybody can make music. Not necessarily cut an album, but anybody can make music. You got TikTok and, and so many other platforms. And because of that, the quality of music is just it's just awful. I mean, there are some that are just outstanding musicians today, of course, uh, but there is such a glut uh, because anybody can do it. And so whether you're an influencer or whether you are a musician, because of the nature of the way things work today, uh, it's just a mess. And the quality of our music and the quality of the opinion pieces that come out, uh, it's, it really is a, a sad state of things. Well, biblical counseling is not impervious to that. Uh, biblical counseling is not immune to that, and this is something that we we do have to address. It is something that I uh, talk about often because if we're not careful, if we don't tighten up our practices, if we don't have these types of conversations, if we continue to sell certificates and then conflate certification with qualification, uh, we're going to be like the average influencer today. We're going to be like the average musician who is not a musician as far as how you uh, define the word musician, uh, because anybody can do it and everybody has risen 
risen to the level of, honestly, it's just, it's risen to such a level where everybody's there. It's a level of mediocrity, and this is something that biblical counseling has to do. Now, has to address. Now, what I have been talking about is that because of just what I've been saying, that there is a lack of innovation in biblical counseling. And so in one of the podcasts that I did, I I, I said, what we need to do, we need to distinguish between the word deep and wide. Those are the two competing ideas. And for the biblical counselor, we need to go deep and not wide. Uh, Because if we The width of biblical counseling is predetermined before the foundation of the world. The width of biblical counseling is God's word. That is the boundary. And as Gandalf said, you shall not pass. We cannot cross past those lines into the world of integrationism or secular psychologies. And so it's not about going wide. If you go wide, then you are going to bring harm uh, to the biblical counseling community. And so I, I don't want to be the word police, and, and I'm not integration hunting, as uh, one gentleman said on Twitter talking about how some people are. I wasn't talking directly to me. Uh, I'm, we're not the word police and, and that type of, of thing. But nevertheless, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We do have integrationists, and they're integrationists within our ranks. When I did that first podcast, episode 423, uh, it, people started addressing it on Twitter. And one of the people that was in that conversation, I don't know him, his name is Josiah, and he said this, and I have, I have his tweet here, I, ha- I have it up, and I shared this with the biblical counselor a few days ago when we had that 90-minute conversation, and I read it to him, and, and this is what it says. He says, Josiah said, probably an outsider here, but I'm with Kristen and Nate and others on this thread pushing for broader biblical counseling boundary, including integration and more academic engagement with current psych thought, end quote. That's what he said. Here's the tweet. And so when the biblical counselor that I was talking to a few days ago took issue with me calling him a biblical counselor, because I'm not, if you're in that thread, this is what I told him. You're in this thread with, like, say, Josiah, and there's other people who are integrationists that were in that thread, and you're in that thread and having this conversation. Well, you're guilty by association, and if you and if you're arguing arguing with me, saying I'm not an integrationist, then this is really simple. All you have to do is give a full-throated response, say, no, Josiah, now, we do not believe in a broader BC boundary, including integration and more academic engagement with current psych thought. It's not on me to determine who you are, but if you're in a group of people and they make a statement like this, then it is on you to 
uh, to stand up and say, no, 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 we are not integrationist. And I realize I'm having a conversation in this group, you could say, uh, but no, this is not what we are. We do not go wide. Biblical counseling has very clear boundaries. We go deep innovatively, and I'll talk about that with four types of listening in just a moment. And so I put the onus on him. You were in the group. This is what was said, and there were other people that said things similarly, and so it is up to you. Now, what has happened since then? I've, I've had multiple people e- email me. I know one person uh, emailed and said they deleted a tweet or two. Uh, I've had this 90-minute conversation, and some of the people are backing away from uh, that Twitter stream, and I'm very glad about that because you don't want to get caught up into that integrated nonsense because we can't go wide, but innovation doesn't mean that. Innovation means deep because the sufficiency of Scripture has very clear boundaries. And so the operative word for biblical counseling is is that we go deep. We plummet the depths. We plunder the trove of God's Word as we think about philosophy and practice in biblical counseling. And so when I say innovation, Innovation is synonymous with going deep, not wide. And if you're having conversations with uh, integrationists and they identify as that, I'm fine with that conversation that you have, but you better clearly identify yourself and say, no, I will talk to you, but I am not that because the Bible is sufficient. And when I mean innovation, I mean going deep, And with that in mind, I want to talk about four types of listening. So in the last podcast, I mentioned them, but now I want to tease them out a little more deeply, and I'll I'll list them for you in order, sequential order, and then I want to get inside of them a little bit uh, to explain how we can grow innovatively when it comes to uh, this idea of listening. So there's four types of listening. I'm, I made up these words, okay? Uh, you, you can change the words if you want. You can, you can continue to innovate. You can take these ideas and run with them and continue to innovate deep, not wide. All right, so in sequential order, there's micro-listening. Number two, there's macro-listening. Number three, there's pneumatic listening. And then number four, there is scriptural listening. Now, every Christian should understand these concepts, whether they use the words or not. And then every Christian should be able to identify their strengths and weaknesses and areas that that they have appropriated God's grace uh, in these areas of listening. And they praise God for that and express gratitude for Him for His work in their life, growing them in the ability to be able to listen. Uh, and then we need to identify where we are weak. We're not good listeners, and there's areas where we can all improve, which is true. I can most definitely improve in these areas here that I'm laying out for you, micro, macro, pneumatic, and scriptural. All right, so micro listening in the last podcast, I I talked about it as looking through a tube. It's like looking through a tube and listening to an individual, meaning there's no peripheral vision. You don't 
want peripheral vision. You want to focus on them. Uh, what you want to do is it, it, it's like you want to step into their story, into their narrative. You want to understand their psyche. You want to understand uh, their soul. In John uh, 2, verses 24 and 25, uh, John was uh, narrated. He was 40 years after the event of John 2. 40 years later, John is writing about this. And he said that like nobody needed to tell Jesus about man because he knew what was in man. Jesus understood the psyche of humanity, and, and he could listen so well. In that context, he was listening to the Pharisees, and that determined uh, what he would say and would not say, because he knew what was in man. And so as we listen to man, as we listen to someone in front of us, we want to be so dialed in on them. Now, you could call this like empathetic listening, where you're really stepping into their narrative, because you want to you want to hear the words that they say. You want to listen to their wordsmithing. You want to listen to their phraseology. You want to uh, hear how they describe whatever the situational difficulty or relational problem is. But there's another level to it. You also want to listen at the level of the heart, not just the words coming out of the mouth, but where those words are generating, which is at the heart level. And so you're listening at that level too, and you will hear shaping uh, influences. Uh, you, you will hear family of origin. Uh, you will hear uh, personal struggles that they have. And so you're really hearing them, understanding them as, as close the proximity as you possibly can, and you, and you just dial in on who they are. Sometimes when I am uh, listening to someone, uh, I, I'll take, uh, I listen with my iPad, for example, and an illustration of this is like I will draw a heart on my iPad, and then when they're talking, I'm translating their words into uh, heart motivations and heart concepts, you know, like fear and shame, blame, anger, unbelief. And, and there's a lot of the anxiety, worry, and, and they don't say any of those words. None of those words come out of their mouths. But as you translate what they're saying was coming out of their mouth, oh, that's a worrisome thought. That's an anxious thought. That's a fearsome thought. That's an angry thought. Oh, that's uh, unbelieving thought, not trusting God. This person is struggling with deep shame. Uh, and then you ask more questions, and then you realize that, oh, they struggle with authoritarianism because they were abused by their father, or they were abused by a religious system, or that's legalism because they were in a religious system, and they're trying to please God and please others, and now it's connected to fear of man. And so that's that two-level listening. They're just describing their story. They're just talking. But as you ask questions, those questions have a, a direction to them because you're trying to get them to reveal, even though they're not aware of this, to reveal these heart motivations and some of the complexity that's going on in their heart. That is micro-listening. And, and, and each question you ask and each answer that they give you, you're just putting a brush stroke on the canvas. And then after an hour or two, 
typically I counsel two hours. And after a couple of hours, it's like now you're looking at this canvas and this canvas looks like that person that you have been talking to, engaging, interacting with, asking questions and listening to through a tube, through a tube, because you just want to know their story. However, you got to do more than that, because if you just do empathetic listening, uh, you could easily take up an offense. Uh, You could become as angry as they are at whoever did what to them. Uh, that's, That's the danger of empathetic listening, that you would be like a lifeguard trying to rescue someone, but instead of standing out on the dock or the deck or the boat... You jump in the water with them, and now you drown because you're only listening to their story, and so you need peripheral vision. And that's macro listening to where you open up the aperture. And you see, counseling is a leadership opportunity. Leaders know more than followers. And so leaders can see beyond the scope of what's being presented. Every parent knows this intuitively. Uh, When the five-year-old says, I want candy, and the five-year-old, one, cannot say the word cavity, could not spell the word cavity, could not define the word cavity. But if you only listen like through a tube and micro-listening, and they say, I want some candy uh, because I desire it, and everybody else has some, and the ice cream truck just came through the cul-de-sac, and the neighbor kids got some, And so why can't I have some? And so you give them some to their detriment. But because you know more than that child, you know, this might not be good for you. It's 7 o'clock in the evening. Why did that ice cream truck come through the cul-de-sac at 7 p.m.? I give you ice cream, and now you're bouncing off the walls at 10, and I can't get you to bed. And then you get up late or, or get up for school tomorrow, and you're sleeping during school, and you're groggy or grumpy. And then you're diagnosed with ADHD, and now you're on medications, and we're off to the races. But because you are the parent, you're the mature one in the room, you listen to exactly what this child is saying, and you're hearing them, and it's like... Uh, I hear what you're saying, and I know why you want this, and I can see the compelling argument that you are making, but I have peripheral vision. Uh, There's a thing called an aperture on a camera, and I have widened the lens. I've widened the aperture, the scope that encompasses more information than what you are aware of. That's no on the ice cream, by the way. Go to bed so you can get up ready, sharp in the morning. That is macro listening, because if you don't, if you don't know more than them, uh, if, if, you, uh, if you just counsel like you're looking through that tube and you take up an offense or you can't bring a, a broader swath of knowledge uh, to the problem that is going on, well, then that's not formalized biblical counseling. Uh, That's not leading them to a better place. And so as a formalized biblical counselor, you know more, you see more, you intuit more, you perceive more than the person. And so you're able to not only dial in on exactly what they're saying, and you have a beautiful canvas of, of who this individual is. But then you broaden the canvas and you begin to show them the opportunity, things that they have yet to perceive, things that they have not come into an awareness of, and you begin leading them because
because you listen micro and you listen macro. And then there is pneumatic listening. And pneumatic listening is just walking in the spirit. And so now this is where listening in one sense moves away from the person that you're talking to. And now it is a a vertical relationship between you and the Lord. The way that I teach our students in our program with uh, pneumatic listening, pneumatos, walking in the spirit, the two words that I like to use are prayer and prophecy. And what I mean by those two words is that you are constantly praying. There's always a twofold conversation going on in counseling. There's a horizontal conversation with the person you're talking to and listening to. And then there is a vertical conversation going on as you're pleading with God to give you insight, to help you uh, as he rolls your mind through Scripture and illuminates your mind. We are Trinitarians. We believe that the Spirit of God is alive and well on planet Earth, and he is working in us us and he he eliminates our mind he gives us gifts he helps us and so what we don't want to do is we don't want to quench the spirit we don't want to grieve the spirit and we can do that and so our our vertical relationship uh, with the spirit of god can be uh, damaged if we're not careful for example we can have a dull conscience that inner voice uh, where, where god is our conscience is our inner voice, but if we have a dull conscience, then it's like water off a duck's back. Uh, the the grieving and quenching of the spirit, the light is dimming because we have a dull conscience. For example, a, a counselor who struggles with uh, selfish ambition, a counselor who has an awful marriage, a counselor who has a secret sin, a counselor who uh, has some other sin issue in his life and is not dealing with it humbly, honestly, transparently. Well, what ha- what happens is that if we c- continue to harbor sin and sinfulness in our lives, it, it will begin to lay down a-, a layer of thickness over our conscience, and our conscience will become dull, and it can become come hard, and, and then w- we-, we get to where we can't pursue Receive the Spirit of God working in our lives, and the illuminating power loses its force and impetus in our lives because our consciences have gone from dull to hard. We could also have a weak conscience, for example. A weak conscience would work out like this, where you struggle with the fear of man, that you don't have this stability of the Word of God working in you that gives you courage to speak in a person's life appropriately with kindness and compassion, but yet directionally because you're leading them, because your conscience is weak and you're you're having this internal uh, struggle with what will they think of me? They will reject me. And so your conscience is your inner voice, your inner voice, conscience, co-knowledge, your inner voice, uh, your internal moral thermostat is saying, I'm afraid of you. I don't want you to reject me. That's what I mean by a weak conscience. What will you think about me if I if I go this direction with you? Well, then your conscience will be weak and the Spirit of God will be uh, marginalized at that point because of a weak conscience. And so walking in the Spirit, pneumatos, where you are praying to God. And then what I mean by prophecy is just communicating what you believe God wants you to say. It's not being prophetic in the sense of uh, what you see in the Old Testament. I'm just 
talking about speaking forth God's word as you understand it to this unique person who is sitting in front of you. And so there is micro listening, there is macro listening, there is pneumatic listening, and pneumatic listening, walking in the spirit, it really has a lot to do with our unique relationship with God. If there's something inadequate in us, if there are lingering sin issues that are in us to where we are messing ourselves up on the inside, where we have amped up soul noise, we have dull conscience, weak conscience, then the Spirit of God will be grieved and quenched, and then that free flow of illuminating information that we have uh, from the Spirit of God will not make its way to that council lead because we are the ones that damned up uh, that free flow of information because of a hindered or improper uh, uh, pneumatos, uh, walking in the spirit. And so there's micro, there is macro, there's pneumatic, and then there's scriptural. Scripture is the canon. It is the rule. It is the, it is the boundary. It is the inerrant, plenary, full, complete, sufficient, Word of God. It is the uh, cauldron, the bucket, uh, that where we get all of our truth. It affirms what we are, what we believe God is uh, motivating us to say and do in a counseling session, or it denies it. But if we go outside the boundary of Scripture, now we're just all convoluted, as Josiah wants to do, a broader B.C. boundary, including integration. No, 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 no. That, that's an oxymoron. Biblical counseling, Bible, and so Scripture is the failsafe. This is the ultimate type of listening, the filter, the presupposition, the worldview, uh, that makes micro, macro, and pneumatos uh, as pure and defined as it can be. The filter is God's Word, which means we have to have a deep, rich understanding of theology. We have to understand God's Word, and we must also uh, have a, a deep, rich biblical practice. So orthodoxy and orthopraxy, both of those things uh, give us this clearly defined, as I said earlier, where we're plundering the trove of God's richness as we're uh, plummeting to the depths of God's Word, deep, not wide, in God's Word. And so those are four types of listening. Now I want to wrap up quickly. I have some questions here. Again, you can go to episode 426. If you are a part of our supporting community where you financially underwrite our ministry, I want you to get on our forums and we can talk about this. This is a, a membership perk for you because I don't have the time or, or the bandwidth to be able to have conversations with all of these other people in the biblical counseling movement. And so I don't talk on social media hardly at all. And I rarely have conversations outside of our community because uh, it's just a time 
issue for me, a time management issue. And so to honor you, our supporters, uh, if you want to have this conversation, then you know where to go. Get on our private community, and I'll be glad to talk about this. But here's some questions for all of us. One, what do I mean by deep and wide regarding innovation? I trust that you would be able to define deep and wide. And then the follow-up is, why is going wide outside of Scripture dangerous? Number two, what is one way you can deepen your understanding and practice of God's Word, practically speaking? What is one way you can grow in orthodoxy and orthopraxy uh, when it comes to God's Word? Number three, which type of listening is a strength of yours, and why did you answer that way? And then uh, number four, which type do you need to mature more? Why did you answer that way? And then finally, number five, are you a student of God's Word? Now, perhaps you can uh, add this. How would you rate your theological training, your knowledge, your orthodoxy, and scriptural wisdom, your understanding, uh, your orthopraxy, and then your comfortableness in knowing where things are in God's Word. That's just a very utilitarian uh, type question there. So there's three questions there, your orthodoxy, your orthopraxy, uh, how would you rate yourself, and, and then this utilitarian question, your comfortableness in rolling through that real, uh, Rolodex of God's Word. As the Spirit of God is illuminating your mind, how would you rate yourself in those areas? My name is Rick Thomas. We're doing Life Over Coffee. This is episode 426, the four types of transformative listening. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.